Welcome to the Florence Crossroad Podcast. We're thrilled to share with you an exciting message from our weekend service. If you would like more information about who we are as a church and how to get involved, feel free to visit florencecrossroadag.org. We hope you have an amazing experience and a great week. ...in the series that we've started, and uh, it's on relationships. Uh, how, many of you, how many of you are married? How many of you are not married? How many of you are, I was going to say glad, but I'm not going to go there. (laughs) How many of you are a child? I'm I'm trying to help you out here. Come on, folks. You didn't fall off a banana truck, all right? Every one of us are a part of family, somehow, some way, somewhere. Relationships are not built merely for husbands and wives. We're going to talk about that, obviously, but we're going to talk about the relationships that we have with one another, with the kingdom of God, with the Lord, with family members, with children, with adult children. How many of you have adult children? Aren't they crazy? (laughs) Amen. It's fun, isn't it? This morning, we want to welcome all of our guests. I, I look back here, I see... I see a guy with white hair I haven't seen in a long time, and uh, Jerry, good to see you, amen, and we're delighted that uh, you've all joined us today, it's a good crowd this morning, uh, good service, first service, and we're looking forward to what the Lord has in store for us even now. We started this series with the understanding of, of needs in families. How many of you believe that the family is under attack? I'm convinced of it. I am absolutely convinced. There was a survey taken that 1930, that goes back a ways, 83% of adult Americans, 83% of adult Americans were married. Today, 49.7% of adult Americans are married. Now, obviously, there are shifts in population growth and all of that dynamic. But there's also an attack on marriage. I love that. That's life, folks. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. And, uh, but there is an all-out attack, a full-blown attack on marriage today. There, our world today looks at marriage as somewhat arcane. Sometimes it looks at it as old-fashioned, outdated, But it is the foundation stone of this nation. It is the foundation stone of civilized worlds. Marriage is God's institution, not man's. And this morning, I want to talk about that in relationship to marriage God's way. And and next week, I'm going to talk about a little different tack on this. How many of you know that men, men and women are a bit different? Amen. Amen. And viva la différence. All right. But the point of what I'm wanting to share is that men have unique needs and women have unique needs. How many of you figured that out? And, and understand something. A need isn't a want. I need air. You understand that? I need air. 
And a need is a need. It's not just simply a desire. It's not a want. It's a need. It's something that has been expressly brought into your life that must have fulfillment. And we're going to talk about some of those next week. I did a whole series on this this last year. I'm not going to go through that whole thing, but, but there are some very valuable things that will help you in, in marriage relationships. And if you're not married, it will help you understand the relationship between a man and a woman. It will help you understand who you are and what your needs are. You see, this isn't just a marriage seminar. This is a life seminar. This is a relationship dynamic that we have to understand. Uh, in, in looking at that, when I see this attack, and one of the questions that came to me as I was pondering the material for this series, Lord, why is there such an overt attack on marriage today? Why is there seem to be such an affront toward marriage today? And the Lord gave me an answer, and it's a very clear answer. It's an understanding of what marriage means from God's viewpoint. How many of you think that, that it's best to have his viewpoint on marriage? Amen. Amen. How many of you think it's good to have his viewpoint on anything? Amen. You know, but especially when we deal with this issue of marriage, it's extraordinarily important that we capture what he thinks, what he feels, and his direction in this particular area. When I read the passages related to marriage, I came to several, and, and it's interesting. Paul's writings in Ephesians 5 Paul, Peter's writings in 1 Peter are very profound, very important for us to understand. But I think the most prolific and the most profound writing on the issue of the institution of marriage is found in Matthew 19. And the reason that I say that is simply this. If you have a lead, re lead redder, <laughs> a red letter, it's amazing what happens when you get rented lips. When you have red letter edition, that's the words of Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus is God the Son? Which means that he is God. And so if I, 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 I'm grateful for Paul, I'm grateful for Peter, they have insights. But God himself is the one that gave this foundation stone for us to understand in this unique and dynamic relationship called marriage. It's important that we capture that because it's, it's important to recognize that God himself gives us the reason why marriage is so important. And he's extremely serious about marriage. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Now, we're going to touch a lot of things this morning in marriage. How many of you know that passage of scripture, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? Hello? I don't want one person walking out of this room this morning under a sense of condemnation, marital misfortune, divorce, abandonment, all of these things are real, and they happen. And it's not for me to figure out the why and the what. The point being is this, that our God is a redemptive God, a healing God, a forgiving God, a gracious God, a God of mercy. You all understand that? So I don't want anybody walking out of here this morning under condemnation because that's the enemy. That's not the message of hope in Jesus, all right? But I do want you to understand marriage God's way because when we understand the author of this thing and understand his purposes for it, it's going to give us some insight as to what we need to look at and how we need to deal with life. Divorce is a very real issue, and we're not here to make light of that by any means. But my message this morning is how do we do 
this thing God's way. Amen? Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, it says, And the Pharisees also came to him, testing him. These birds came to Jesus. They were not there trying to get an answer. They were there trying to trap him. They were trying to discredit him. They were trying to disprove him. They were doing everything they could to make him look bad. They came to him, testing him, saying to him, Is it lawful, say that word with me, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, listen to the word here. For just any reason. The word just is italicized in most translations, which simply indicates that that literal, that word was not in the original language. When I go back into the original language, the Greek word pasan is the word used for any reason. And it doesn't mean just just any reason, any reason, and the way it's translated, any reason at all. Do you understand? Say that with me. Any reason at all. Not just any reason, but any reason at all. It, come, it encompasses the whole lot. You, you all understand that? And it goes on, it says, and he answered and said to them, are you out of your minds? <laughs> That's Edward's translation. <laughs> Have you not read that he who made them them, plural, meaning husband and wife, man and wife, woman, at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, we're going to talk about what the reason is, for this reason, a man shall leave father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That's, that's pretty profound. It's interesting, it says they shall be joined, he shall be joined to his wife. It means equally yoked. It is the identity of taking on the yoke of oxen, two oxen working a field, yoked together, pulling a plow. Equal means that they both did it 100%. They both did equal share. They both did their job. That's equal. Y'all understand that? If you have one that's not doing the share, it, it holds the thing. It, it, it will mess everything up. Y'all understand that? It, they have to do it together. They have to be equal in this relationship together. And, and, and it, it's, it's so important. Then it goes on. It says, so then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Adam, Eve. Adam, Eve, two, but one. You get that? Two, but one. God created Adam. He gave him a sedative. He woke up with a wife. <laughs> that was a rather rude awakening. Adam comes out from underneath the anesthesia and he sees Eve for the first time. And his words, the first words that he ever said were, hey, hey, hey. (laughs) 
At the end of that chapter, it says this. Adam speaking about his wife. He says, she is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. Two are one. And then the fall occurs, and we talked about that last week in the family broken. And it was in that moment that he names her. God named Eve. He named her Adam, meaning humankind. But Adam, Adam labeled her and called her Eve. And without going into all of that message last week, he identified her as something she really wasn't identified by God for. Because God saw her as the completion of him. Do you all understand that? So this is their question. And here's the answer. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus begins to, to challenge them. Because you see, these Pharisees were very, very learned to the, to the word. The scroll that they would have, it is said that the Pharisee, if he was a, of the Pharisee, of, uh, of the uh, sect of the Pharisees, could take the scroll, take a, a, a needle and push it through a letter in the scroll and tell you every letter of every word that pen went through. They knew the word. And Jesus said, have you not read? Do you not understand? Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. That is the answer to this question. There are two questions posed in Matthew 19. Is it lawful? And God is saying, no. I put them together. No man is to tear them apart. That's the question, that's the answer. But the second question is unique. The second question is, is this. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? And Jesus corrects them. He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted Hardness of heart. I have, I have counseled hundreds, hundreds of marriages. And I've walked with families through marital misfortune and the breakup of marriages. And I can tell you without, a, without question, one or both have hardened their heart in the issue of their marriage. And Paul says, or Jesus is saying to them, Moses didn't command that. He permitted it because of hard hearts. Before you come to know Jesus, it was easy to have a hard heart. But now that we know Jesus, we, we need to have a soft heart. Y'all understand that? Then he said, when 
when they, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. Too often, this is the answer given to the first question. God said no. The second question was was challenging. It's not a condemnation. It's just the reality. Moses didn't command anything. He permitted it because of the hardness of people in their heart toward one another. And the reason for that is that at that time, and, and I got, guys, we, we got to sit up on this one. Jesus is, is specifically directing this statement to men. And the reason he's directing it to men is because in that day, men could be married to more than one wife. Why in the world you would want that? I have no clue in my mind. But, but you could be married to more than one woman. You could have multiple wives. And too often what would happen was the wife of your youth, that first wife, could become neglected or abused. Not only abused by him, but perhaps even abused by other men. And it wasn't right. And, and, and so they, they come to Moses and they said, we, we, need a, we need a solution for this. And the truth is this, is these women needed to be treated like the prince and queen that Jesus himself treated her. And if that husband wouldn't treat her that way, then let her go so that someone can. quiet in here. I think I'll stand behind the bulletproof glass over there. (laughs) Notice something here. Moses represents the law. Jesus represents grace. First, in John chapter 1, verse 17, it says, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through or by Jesus Christ. Moses represents law. Jesus represents grace. Here's the point. The question of it, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And Jesus said, no, it's not. But under Moses, under the law, he said, you can't. Wouldn't you think that it would be the opposite? Wouldn't you think that grace would say you can, but law would say no? Grace says, no, it's not. You're in a covenant. You need to work it out. Law says, because of the hardness of your heart, let her go. Good preaching, Pastor. (laughs) Matthew 19, verse 4 says, and he said to them, Have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, for this reason. What's the reason for marriage? And I want to share with you three thoughts this morning in this relationship. The first one is, marriage is a picture of God on earth. Marriage is a picture of God on earth. And he said to them, 
Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the twain shall be one flesh. If you go back to Genesis' account, listen to this. And it's, it's, it's again, translating the Hebrew is very unique here. Then God said, let us. Here, the word God is Elohim. Then God, Elohim, said, let us. It's plural. Us is a plural pronoun, right? Let us create man in our, again, a plural pronoun. Let us create man in our image, in our likeness. Let them, plural, have dominion over all of fish and all of that stuff. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. It's an amazing thing to me that after God created Adam, Satan never came to Adam. Satan only came to Adam after Eve was formed. And the reason for it is this. Adam alone was no threat to the devil. But God didn't create man in his image, to merely be male. He created them, male and female, and in the composition of male and female, they too represented the identity and the image of God. You write that one down somewhere. That was too profound for my little brain. (laughs) Think about this. God looked at Adam He created everything else, and at the end of the creation of all other creatures and all other dynamics of creation, he said it is good, and after he created man, he said, this is not good. (laughs) And ladies, don't get any bad ideas. It wasn't because, it was because he was not completed. The completion, the image of God, the image of God here in this world is husband, wife man and woman, but in marriage. And it doesn't mean that there's an incompletion if you're not married. There are many people here this morning that are widowed or single. This this message is as much for you as it is anybody else. We've got to understand that our identity is the identity of God's creation. He created male, female to be the completion of man. Adam, humankind, his image on earth. When I think in the terms of this whole marriage thing, in the relationship dynamics that he's created, and I think I have a little bit of, I have a little bit of credibility in this. We've been married for 50 years. Give her the credit. Seriously. 
But by the grace of, of God and Sherry, we're still married. I'm serious. But, but what I'm trying to share with you is this, is that this, this is a unique relationship. God is three in one, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but they're three in one. Do you, do you get that? A husband, a wife, two, but they're one. But there's more to it than that. In a marriage, it's not just a husband and a wife. If it's going to be a marriage that God's going to bless, it's the, it's, it's, it's the husband, the wife, and God. So they're three in one. Just like the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are three in one. Just like John 17, Father, I would that you, even as I and you are one, that they and us would be one. You can't have a solid marriage, a healthy marriage, a God-blessed marriage if God isn't in that marriage. It's that important. Marriage God's way is two people in unity, not division. Equality, but with order. One leads, another follows. Have you ever watched Dancing with the Stars? Any dance instructor will tell you that someone in that partnership has to lead. My mother, bless her heart, when I was a boy, decided she wanted to bring some refinement into my life, and so she signed me up for dancing lesson. <laughs> it lasted two weeks. Now, this is going back into the Ark Ages. How many of you are old enough to remember the bop? Oh, man, that brought alive some stuff, didn't it? I mean, you had songs come out in your mind, but but uh, I, I remember we were in this, and and there was one. The dance instructor said, "Now, ladies, you pick your partner." I won't mention her name, but she was much taller. Stouter than I. And so in the bop, you know, you're doing your thing and you got to twirl the girl. <laughs> and so in mid twirl, she decides to twirl me. And in so doing, put me in a hammerlock and flip me right in the middle of the floor. I picked myself up, walked out, and never went back. Somebody's got a lead. Well, don't you have a boss in your family? Are you? We don't know. No, no. I, I, I remember one time, I remember one time, Sherry said, Dale, would you take out the garbage? She didn't even say, would you? She said, they'll take out the garbage. Something bristled in me. And I said to myself, no. 
I got to finish ironing. <laughs> that didn't really happen, I'm telling you. Second thing that marriage represents is Jesus and the church. First, marriage represents God. Represents that uniqueness of God. His presence. But Paul reminds us in Ephesians 5, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but now listen to the way he says this. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. He likens marriage to Christ and the church. He represents the portrait of God in marriage on this earth. And now he's saying it's like Christ and his church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And so let the wife see that she respects her husband. Marriage represents the Trinity, the husband, the wife, and God. But here, here the man represents Christ. I didn't write this. But, but, but gentlemen, sit up straight here. We represent Christ. It doesn't demean the wife. It doesn't demean her. It doesn't put her into a, a secondary position. But it's a responsibility. And our world doesn't want to hear this. They don't want to hear this dynamic at all. And, woman, and the woman represents the church. Now think about the church. One of the most powerful institutions and agents in the world. I, I can take you to Cuba today. And the revolution under, the, under Castro and all of the other pirates of the Caribbean that raped, destroyed, and ruined a good little, little nation, bringing in socialism and communism. I want you to hear this. They control everything in life on that little island. They federalized everything. You do not own your own home. You don't own your own business. Everything is federalized. Everything is owned by the government. They control everything. But one thing they cannot control, the church. The church has grown in spite of all the repression that government has placed on it. The church is powerful. The church is strong. The church is vibrant. And a woman represents the church. It's not a demeaning role. It's a powerful role. It's a wonderful thing. Men, how did Jesus treat his church? Was he kind to it, or did he make fun of the church? Did he put the church down? Did he hold the church in disregard? Did he demand of her to meet his needs? Did he abuse her? How did Jesus treat the church? 
gentlemen, how do we treat the women in our life? I'm not real thrilled with the militancy of the Me Too movement, but they have a reason for existence. Because over the course of the millenniums, men have abused women in horrific ways. And that was never modeled by Jesus himself. Jesus was the emancipator of women. It was Jesus, when he went to the, to the well in John 4, that found a woman, a Samaritan woman, a woman who had been married five times, living with a man. She comes to know faith through him. She became the first evangelist of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had women that were in his inner circle. He believed in women. He believed in what they could do. He believed in the value and the worth. He never demeaned them. He never subjugated them. He never made them less. He always elevated them. Always. Gentlemen. We represent Jesus. How do we treat the church? Our bride. Let's stop there. Ladies, how do you treat Jesus? How, how do you speak to him? Cuss him out, disrespect him, ridicule him, make fun of him, poke holes at him, criticize him in front of others or behind his back? Is that what the church does for Jesus? He represents marriage as Jesus and the church. For this cause, a man shall leave mother and father. Jesus gave himself for the church. He never demanded his need to be met. I don't remember where we heard it. It probably was at Bill Gothard's, what did they call that, something basic youth conflict or conference or whatever whatever it was. But I remember hearing this statement that if I will meet her need, she doesn't have a whole lot of problem following my lead. But if I don't meet her need, why should she follow a jerk? Is that pretty blunt? Do you see do you see that? Isn't this powerful? So we see the portrait of Jesus, portrait of God in marriage. We also see the representation of Jesus and the church 
in this relationship. But the last thing, and, and I'm going to bring this airplane in. Marriage is more than a contract. Or it's just a piece of paper. No, it is not a piece of paper. Whom God hath joined together. God put this together. Sherry and I stood before her dad and her grandfather when we got married. They knew me. It took two of them. As I've stood before couples, hundreds of them, I don't bring them into a contract. It's a covenant. You, you, you see, a contract, it, it doesn't quite work. Listen to this passage out of Malachi. In, in the context of the passage in Malachi 2, God's telling his people why he is not accepting their offerings because of their faith and their family and their finances and the way they have abused them. And, and in verse 14, he says, yet you say, what, for what reason? We've been talking about that. In Matthew 19, for this reason. In Ephesians 5, for this reason. Malachi says, for this reason. Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion. Two, one. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And your wife, not of contract, but of covenant. Let me tell you the distinction. A contract is where we protect our rights and limit our responsibilities. I buy a house. I sign a contract. And I want that contract to benefit me the most. So any liabilities that are related to that house, the construction of it, whatever, I want to limit. I want to limit my responsibilities to those things. But I want to protect every right that I have. That's different than a, con than a covenant. A covenant, a covenant, we give up our rights and we pick up our responsibilities. Does that make sense? A contract, it's all about me. It's all about my rights. It's all about how it's going to benefit me. A covenant, I'm laying down my rights and I'm picking up my responsibility. And marriages that are going to work, relationships that are going to work, are when people, two people in, in relationship to this, this, this relationship have to pick up their role and their responsibility. And Jesus Christ, denying himself, gave himself up for. That's covenant. Does that make sense this morning? You know, Wayne, we probably ought to 
set up a contract to do a 30-minute program where we can preach the gospel every Sunday and teach this kind of thing to our community. How many of you think that work? Hear, hear my heart. I'm at war with the enemy. I'm tired of the enemy abusing homes and families and children and mothers and fathers. And part of the reason that happens is because of ignorance to the tools that God has given to us. Hallelujah. My prayer is that every, every home, every family, every person, single, married, widowed, divorced, doesn't matter. I want every one of them to come under the grace and the mercy and the love and the kindness of a loving Savior that can help bring them into right relationships with other people. Let me, let me end this with this story. In 1984, my little sister went through a divorce. And it was a rugged divorce. And they'd been divorced for about a year and a half. Both of them were involved with other people. They were divorced. And I remember coming out of my quiet time one morning, and the Lord had spoken to me as firmly as if I had heard a voice from heaven. I called my sister, and I said, Sis, I need you to understand what the Lord is speaking to me about you. And she said, what, What's going on? I said, Well, in prayer, the Lord told me that I'm to pray for you to reconcile and that your marriage could be healed by the power of God. Well, that went over like a ham sandwich at the Wayland Wall. <laughs> she didn't want anything to do with that. And I said, I'm just the messenger, sis. She says, I'm praying. I said, I'd like to talk to Dan. Reluctantly, she gave me his phone number. So I called him and I said, Dan, I need you to understand how the Lord has spoken to me about prayer, about you and Jenna. Well, it's over. I said, well, maybe. And I shared with him the same thing. And I said, Dan, a lot of times perceptions become real when they're nothing but a lie. And we can believe and buy into the lies. And all I'm asking you to do is open your heart. Little did I know that when he got off the phone, he called my sister and for four hours we talked on the phone. I remarried them the next June. He's in precarious health today. I believe my God is a big God. And I believe God is the author of marriage. And I don't know what the issues are, and I'm not here to bring condemnation or disregard. Please hear me. 
you're married, doesn't matter whether you've been married before, this is the marriage you're in, make it work. You all understand that? Don't let, don't let the enemy bring condemnation and doubt and fear. Don't let him do that to you at all. Please hear me. You see, under the Mosaic Law, it went something like this. In the relationship, in this covenant, there are two parties and there are two responsibilities. Party number one, God. Said, this is my covenant to you. I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will bless you. Israel's side of the covenant was be perfect. How many of you think they kind of had a problem immediately? <laughs> Paul would remind us that the law was given to develop and establish a moral standard and to bring a desire for the fulfillment of Christ in the new covenant. They couldn't keep the law. So God, under Jesus, gives us a new covenant. We have communion. It says in this cup is the new covenant that I give unto you. Party number one, God, to provide, to protect, to never leave you, never forsake you. Party number two, when God looks at Dale and he says to his son, come here, he can't keep it. He can't live it. He can't do it. I'm asking you, will you Take his place. Will you live a life he can't live? Will you die a death he deserves? And Jesus said, I will. Wow. That's covenant. Couples stand before me and they, they declare a covenant. better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. It's not multiple choice. It's not either or. It's and. He made the biggest covenant for us. And the greatest relationship we can have is this way. That's relationship. He wants you, gentlemen, to represent Christ. Ladies, he wants you to represent the church. He wants you to be his bride, his princess, his queen. He wants you to be that man of integrity and honor. He wants us to work in harmony and relationship together. Hello? Would you stand with me this morning?